Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 89 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B., and Marion Rich, play revolutionary social therapeutic coach and performance activist. Yay! Two, one. Welcome to LaughBox. LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm your co-host, Jim Bob Williams, and I'm here with... Katie B. And we have a very special guest with us today. And today happens to be October 10th, which is World Mental Health Day. So, Katie, could you introduce our guest and uh, tell us a little bit about her? Absolutely. We are so excited. We have Marion Rich with us. She is a play revolutionary, a social therapeutic coach, and a performance activist associated with the Eastside Institute, but she's going to tell you all of the details. Marion, thank you for being with us. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and what an honor to be here on World Mental Health Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. I feel ready to roll. I love laugh box. Here's a box filled with laughter, just the box I want to be in because I don't like being in a box. I like being outside of a box unless the box is filled with laugh. <laughs> and that is exactly why we're here, is to think outside of the box with laughter. Excellent. Tell, tell us about yourself. I've spent a lot of my life trying to shift the focus from myself to others. So when the focus goes back on myself, I like to see if I can bring both those threads together. So I'll talk a little bit about me, but I'm mostly interested in seeing what we create together. So I'm a comedian, improv comedian, improviser. I'm trained as an actress and director. And gee, I think it was in the early aughts, I decided to stop doing scripted plays. I'm a founder of a theater that is uh, a political theater, a community theater in New York City. In my 20s, looking to hang my hat in a political community, a cultural community, and I thought, how am I ever going to find that? because I was an actress and an activist. I considered myself a person, a child of the 60s, who primarily wanted to change the world, to figure out how to do that. I'm not gonna do it alone. I needed a community and I found my community that has developed into what we call performance activism. And now if you fast forward, in the early days, in the early 80s, when I met this community, to now, now it's a big, broad, radically inclusive international community of people who use performance, play, humor to create social change that's non-ideological. That's not about, we have to agree, I'm going to convince you, 
to believe what I believe because I'm right. All of the rancor and hyper-partisan, the climate we find ourselves in today. I and others, I would include the two of you, are committed to playing together, laughing together, creating things together. That's how we will create a new world, not by some cognitive ideological activity. So at the Eastside Institute, where I'm on the faculty and where I received my training in social therapeutics, we're into non-knowing growing, that the knowing paradigm is a little bit, a little bit or a lot. It's deadening. It's not, it's not what will move us to the next place we need to be, which is uh, more inclusive, radically inclusive. I love those two words together, radically inclusive. So less That's conquest and more cooperation. I love that. Well said. You see, I put I had a thousand words and Jim Bob put it into two. Doesn't get better than that. That's one of his specialties. <laughs> in my work, my therapeutic work, in uh, my work as an educator, in everything I do, I fully embrace the unknowing beauty of improvisation. People think, well, I have to know what I'm going to say before I say it, for example. In improvisation, we turn that upside down. Uh, well, say something, and then you might <laughs> know what you have to say. If you're, for example, very shy and introverted, speaking can be difficult. Talking to people can be difficult, and you don't know what to say. You get in your head, you're thinking, well, what could I say? And you're feeling all the things you're feeling. It's very hard to grow from that place because you can easily get shut down. Whereas an improvisational approach means say anything, see what happens. I, I was teaching a class that's the flagship program of the Eastside Institute. Our very own Katie B is a graduate of this program. I was teaching the new cohort on Friday and we were doing a reminiscence game. We were doing a reunion of this cohort five years down the road, reminiscing back. And we had done an improv game where everybody was playing an animal. And there were three women uh, playing Oh, remember when, you know, going back and reminiscing together and the two women that came before the third were talking about all these different animals and one was from Ireland. She said she was surprised uh, that there were other animals be besides sheep and goats. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next person uh, added to that, yes, I was surprised too. And I was so pleased to see there were also llamas and unicorns. And then it got to the third woman who lives in Uganda, in Africa. And she was a bit shyer. And she said, I don't know what to say. It was a teaching moment for me. I was teaching the basics of improvisation. And I said, well, let's review what we have so far. So, so far we have 
Louise, who is from Ireland, so she was surprised there are other animals besides sheep and goats. And then Kathy added that there were llamas and unicorns, and now it's your turn. And she goes, I don't like animals. Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, there you go. You didn't have to think. What was there to think about? You don't like animals. That's a perfect thing to say. And how... How interesting, since for me, I live in New York City, you live where there are all the animals I really <laughs> want to see. <laughs> but, you know, it's like somebody who would say, I love cars, and I live in New York City. I don't drive a car. I don't like cars. <laughs> <laughs> I think that improvisation and the humor that comes from it in the best sense of that, we can create joy and laughter and touch the child in us, our humanity. None of that is a thinking activity mm. and none of it is a knowing activity. It's a co-creating activity. It's a relational activity. So I think the relationality has everything to do with the non-knowing growing. I'm going to listen to what we are all saying and doing, and that is where I will speak from, rather than some deep knowing <laughs> that I have, as though it's mine. It's ours. We created it together. There's a woman in uh, Mild Improv Troop who used to say, uh, she knows that improv is not therapy. But improv is therapeutic. Yeah. So can you talk about how you use humor therapeutically? Such a great, great, great question. Thank you so much. I do therapeutic work. I'm a, a social therapeutic coach. So I'm not trained in traditional psychology, uh, nor do I find it always helpful. And I wouldn't discard it completely. But it's deadly serious psychotherapy. It's very serious in a way that I think can be hurtful to people. Sorry, I missed that. Could you say it again, please? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Siri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to put my phone through therapy, too. <laughs> That's perfect. Clearly, clearly Siri is in trouble somehow. <laughs> you know, I think a good way to respond to your wonderful question, um, I'll, I'll just respond personally around my own development, my own emotional development. So I think that there's a way I used humor when I was younger as a protective mechanism. Mm. So it'd be like, oh, you think you had a bad childhood? <laughs> Let me tell you about mine. That kind of thing. That use of humor can, I, I think, can be a bit hurtful to us. And as I've grown and developed and matured, I'm in my 60s, I think there's a difference between that and being able to embrace what I would call the more therapeutic side of humor, which is paradox, irony, the human condition. <laughs> so, for example, my father had dementia. 
My father was an actor. He was classic, right out of the DSM-3, if you know what that is, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. You open it up to narcissists. You read it. It's like, oh, meet my parents. There they Mm -hmm. are. Just textbook. Very self-involved actor. Didn't really see me unless it was in the service of something that had to do with him. And then it got dementia and it turned out to be a gift in my case. I know it doesn't always feel that way for people when when an elder uh, gets dementia, but he was like, I don't want to talk about me. Let's talk about you. He was like, what? What? Wow. And we were able to play with, I started to be able to play with and find more humor in our relationship. So much so that I could say things to him in the context of this weird playing together with dementia. You're very in the moment. It is pure improvisation. And uh, I can remember once I said to him something about, you know, he asked me, like, was I a good father? And I said, well, it was a mixed bag. Well, what do you mean? And using humor, I was able to say things, but not in that self-effacing sort of masked way, but a more honest response Mm. through humor. I do the same thing. I'm just talking about how I see humor therapeutically in my own life, then I can talk about other, other people's. But in my marriage... If we find ourselves bickering a little bit, Mm. we turn it into a goofy moment, (laughs) right? So it starts at, I can't believe you didn't pick up the laundry. You were, you know, you bicker about stupid things. Not always, not always, but a lot of just ordinary domestic bickering is about domestic (laughs) chores, So, you know, it might go like, I can't believe you didn't pick up the laundry. I can't believe you didn't pick up the laundry today. And I might get a response. I was busy. I couldn't do it. I really wanted You know, now we have a a Stephen Sondheim, you know, duet going. So we have the power to transform any moment in our lives from when my father died I took from from his room these two beautiful uh, masks tragedy and comedy masks because he was an actor and I look at them a lot and I think about that a lot tragedy and comedy come right up against each other and to me great humor is filled with pathos and great tragedy has humor. Who was better at that than William Shakespeare? Going into into relational things, I was going to ask how humor and the, like the international class experience and improv and social therapeutics contribute to peace. A colleague and I, Carrie Loebman, a colleague of mine, and I wrote a chapter for a book on applied improvisation, and it's called Playing Around with Changing the World. And it is about improvisational work I do with the international class. And one of the case studies, it's a book of case studies 
of how people use applied improvisation in various settings. So within that book, we had smaller case studies in our chapters. And, you know, I would usually have a brief chat with Lois Holzman, the director of the Eastside Institute, about the international class, you know, what have they been doing in the days I haven't been around, and then I design the class. So I come, this is before the pandemic, so I was in the room. I come into the room, I've got my little plan, and Lois pulls me aside, and she says, well, Marion, two of the uh, students in the last session had a wicked fight, a really intense argument and fight. And one person said to the other, I'm triggered. But it's not particularly a word that uh, we use in our social therapeutic approach, but we all know what it means. And then Lois says, so could you create some exercises where we use triggering as an offer? If you know improv wow. talk, what we call everything. Everything's an offer. What you say to me is an offer and I'm going to build with it. And improvisers like myself who have, you know, decades of experience are pretty good at taking any offer. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to play with being triggered, creating scenes, two-person scenes that are headed for a fight. So I think the first one I did was I told the two players, you're at a uh, to dinner party. You just had a dinner party. You live together and you're washing dishes and cleaning up after the dinner party. Somebody says, oh, I'm so glad this friend of mine came, Lou, my friend Lou. He's terrific. I love him. And then the other roommate says, really, because Lou, he was sexually harassing. So now you have one person who loves Lou and the other person saying, really, because he was sexually harassing. I figured that was pretty good. Somebody could get triggered there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they start their scene. And at the point at which I see that they're in trouble, you know, they're, they're clashing, there's people, you know, someone's triggered. I say, freeze. I ask the, the participants, did we see some triggering? Are they, you know, in, in that moment? Yes. I said, great. And then I started to side coach a la Viola Spolin, the mother of us all from improvisation. And I start giving various pieces of direction. I let the scene go at, at different points. I would say, freeze, make eye contact for 10 solid seconds without speaking. And I gave the overall direction that you cannot argue and fight. You have to stay with relationality, even in the face of being triggered, which in our dominant culture right now, people say, well, I'm triggered. I'm out of here. So how are we going to have peace? How will we create a more just and peaceful and relational world in this highly individuated culture that we live in where knowing is what matters. Mm -hmm. So people might say, well, I know when I'm triggered, I cannot, I have to leave the room. I know that. Mm -hmm. So I might say, how do you know that? How do you know that? Can we 
try a different uh, scene. That's scene one. Scene one is I'm triggered, I'm out of here. Okay, great. Take two with the direction, you can't leave the room. In fact, I want you to move closer to the other person. That's impossible. Let's find out. Maybe mm. it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't. That mm -hmm. to me is the value of play, performance, creating something other than, you said it early on, you like to be out of the box. Mm. That's a radical, out of the box moment. And I know it's radical. I'm a radical. <laughs> I, wow. So I'm willing to take that risk because I have a big heart. Therapeutically, I'm going to take care of providing the environment, creating the environment you need, we all need to do something that difficult. Yeah. That's not lost on me. You know what I mean? I'm not throwing people to the wolves doing yeah. this. We're creating uh, a loving, caring environment. If that's what everybody in the world was doing, yeah. attending to the environment, to these relationships, we'd have a shot. Okay, you may have given uh, psychology a new option because we keep talking about the fight or flee or freeze right. responses. That's so right. what's wrong with a fool around response Beautiful. as a fourth option? Yeah. 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 It's And trauma informed. I think these approaches are very interesting coming from what we know doesn't work with trauma mm. and doesn't right. help solve it. But instead, a trauma informed, right? We all have trauma, every one mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so in trauma informed, how do we take that and play a new scene with it. It's an incredibly valuable tool mm -hmm. in our toolkit. I've lived with uh, Ed, my husband, for 23 years. And I'm happy to say <laughs> that in the last year, he allows me to say, take two. Can we do that over and take two? Oh. I can remember once coming home from uh, something and walking through the door and just like vomiting out all the crap from my day without mm. even saying hello to the guy. And it wasn't really a great way to come home. And I said, well, let me go out and I'll come back in and do it again. And we all have now a new way to create peace through trying to work it out creatively. It's interesting when you said trying to work it out. I don't even know that we have to work it out. I'm not sure we have to work it out. Good point. Mm. I think we have to find a way to use it to develop the relationship, to develop individually, to develop a community, to develop a family, to develop mm. a faculty, you know, whatever it is that mm. needs development. Because working it out, I think, gets you back into a cognitive knowing space. Mm. I would say we have to co-create a new performance. I learned this from Lois Holzman, my mentor and, and uh, you know, teacher for many, many years, a long time ago when she said a simple thing, you'll like this, Jim Bob, a few words, two words, language mm. matters. Mm. Yeah. And that can sound very simplistic, language matters. Yeah, of course, language matters. I know language matters. Well, 
I'm not sure we always realize that the choice of words mean everything. So instead of trauma, we could use difficult life experiences. Mm. I think that's a better way to talk about because mm. now we have a trauma industry in America. Oh, you're right. So people are people are making mm. money off of trauma. So everything is trauma, 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 trauma. Not sure that's so helpful to people. I agree with you, Katie, that we all experience trauma. You know what I like to say? Hmm. The main trauma that every human being goes through is birth. Hmm. It right. ain't going to get more traumatic than that. That's right. <laughs> right? We weren't babies before. Now we're becoming a baby, a becoming a person. It's different than being in, in a womb. You know, it's a different moment. It's a new scene. Oh, and, you know, and nobody yells at the newborn for crying, you know? Mm -hmm. I know. It's, yeah. it's true, right? Well, in general, if we related to others the way we relate to babies, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, look at that. He mm. spit up. Okay, mommy's going to clean it up. Why don't we do that? Somebody says something, you know, so egregious or... You think that is disgust. What if you say, wow, wow, yeah. you said that? Woo. <laughs> one That's of, amazing that you could say that. One of my favorite moments at the conference, at the AATH conference, was a speaker talking about uh, talking to each other like we talk to our pets. Yes, that was mm. going to be my next. Mm. Was it the way you talk to a dog or a cat? Yeah, uh, yeah we'd, we'd be creating a much better world if it was like, good boy, good girl, good, good day, good, every, you know, everything good. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of improv is that it teaches you to listen yes. and to use that. And that right now, people listen so they can make a quick reply or a gotcha or an insult. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, and I would, I would also add, People mostly listen to themselves. Mm. Oh, I have something so important. I'm going to listen to me. Oh, Jim, Bob, and Katie, they're talking. I'm just sitting here talking to myself. Wait, when's my turn? An extroverted, long-winded, really into talkative person like myself. Verbose, that's the word I was looking for. I had to work on listening for a couple of decades. I remember a friend saying to me, Marianne, we've been sitting here for an hour having a drink. You haven't asked me one question about me. You just talk about yourself incessantly. I never met anybody who could talk about themselves that much. Is it that interesting? And yeah, it was not easy to hear, but I was very grateful to this friend because it sort of smacked me around a little bit. Even on a podcast, I know I'm your guest and I'm supposed to be talking, but I'm very aware of, well, that's a lot of talking. That's a lot of me talking. Makes me want to throw questions back at you or be curious about you, uh, which I could do, co-create a better podcast. You can do anything you want. And we <laughs> love it that you fill the time with talking about you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
I just wanted to share a little bit about my own struggle with listening because it's not easy mm -hmm. to shift the focus away from me to us, to we. I was thinking about if I were going to use new pronouns, I might be she slash we, W-E slash we. <laughs> W-H-E-E. -E. I love that. Uh, which I haven't done because I don't want to offend anybody and I no. don't want people to think I am making fun of um, pronouns and you know being non-binary because I'm not. Taylor Mack, if you know who Taylor Mack is, uh, they are a, a non-binary performer and they use Judy as their pronoun. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Judy. Yeah. Taylor Mack. Uh, if Taylor Mack were putting their pronouns, they'd put Judy. <laughs> I, I just, I love how creative we're getting with identity. Exactly. Love it. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And being a woman, uh, look, I'm a Jewish woman. That's not always the easiest identity to carry around in the world. So yeah, let's loosen that up a bit. What does it mean for me to be Jewish? I'm not religious. I'm not observant, but I consider myself very Jewish culturally and historically, and it's shaped who I am. Uh, I can get playful with that identity because if I get too serious in that identity, it's pretty upsetting just given my family's history and what that has looked like, the thread of that. I can get very victimized, you know, being a woman, you can get it. So we've got to play with all of these identities. It's just another co-creation. Yeah, you know, it's funny about language matters. That word just Right. Because <laughs> it's not just You're association, right. like some simple, like, if you would just co-create. Yeah. You're right. Well, it's a huge effort to create the environment needed for people to do that. And to have the freedom to do that. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for saying yeah. that. I mean, I don't like the expression... Uh, safe space. I don't use it. I don't like psychological safety because I'm not afraid of human beings. So I'm not sure why we need safe, protect me from these people. What do you it, use? It, I don't use any of it. I, I do what I do. I don't talk about it. I do it, number one. And if someone insisted, I would say I like to create a brave space. Mm space where people can be courageous and open up new possibilities. Oh, I love that. Because I think that's a big part of what we're doing in performance activism. When I say I'm a play revolutionary, Katie and I are very active in something called the Global Play Brigade, which we created during the pandemic. So it's all about helping people live their lives in a new way that generates hope, mm -hmm. that generates possibility, uh, connection, opportunity. You know, privilege is another word that is used in a way that I don't think is growthful for people. 
So I have a lot of privilege. I grew up privileged. What I'm interested in doing is giving my privilege to those who do not have privilege. No. I don't feel guilty about my privilege. I have my moments where I wish I was Elon Musk and had gazillion. I mean, I don't wish I'm Elon Musk other than having gazillions of dollars because I would take everybody who lives in public housing in New York City, which is in the process of being destroyed, yeah. that's 600,000 poor and lower income people. And I would uh, pay their rent. <laughs> I don't know. I would, or I would build, uh, I would do a real estate development that was genuinely afford. I don't, you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. I do. To me, it's about, don't feel bad about your privilege. Use it. No. Give it. I agree. Marion, I'm going to, I'm going to drive us to another road. Lovely. Because I would love to hear about joyful sadness and normal <laughs> from your perspective and your projects. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate that. I guess coming off of uh, the work that I was doing during the pandemic, which was all about creating the global, the global Play Brigade and other play environments to connect people across borders of all kinds, uh, geo political, ethnic, race, language, gender, on and on and on across all these borders. And it hit me uh, sometime last year, wow, I'm doing therapeutic work. The first 22 weeks of the Global Play Brigade's existence, I offered a uh, play session every single Wednesday for 22 weeks in a row, partnering with other facilitators from around the world and creating all kinds of wonderful play activities. And we called it Create Connection and Build Community. And I had run some play sessions for the Eastside Institute before we started the Global Play Brigade. And I noticed that I had a lot of the same people coming to my session Wednesday after Wednesday. And I thought, oh my, this is a social therapy group. <laughs> I, I didn't design it as such. We weren't doing anything that would resemble in any way, but damn, it was therapeutic. So that got me thinking, I am trained in social therapeutics. I am a practitioner as an educator. I have been a client in various social therapy groups for decades because you can keep growing, continue to develop. So unlike psychotherapy, you're not looking for the answer yeah. to get to the bottom of it. It's an environment to grow and develop and play. So I began to think about uh, starting a social therapeutic coaching practice, which is what I've done. So I've been thinking a lot about world mental health and mental illness. Mm. And I think that coming out of the pandemic and everything else going on in the world, the war in the Ukraine, climate crisis, uh, the inequities of the rich and the poor, the erosion of democracy. I mean, this is a lot 
for human beings to to bear, frankly. It's overwhelming emotionally. And people are experiencing a lot of grief, so many loved ones lost to COVID, to poverty, to violence. I mean, on and on and on. Some people are numb. They're not feeling anything. Where do you find joy in this? And I had uh, invented, at the Global Play Brigade, we were always inventing exercises and play activities. And one uh, global meeting we had, I invented something called that I called joyful sadness. I put people in breakout rooms. I had them talk about how they were feeling and then create some new emotions either create new words or smash a few emotions together that don't usually go together and then come back in the big room, uh, write them in the chat and, you know, tell us the definitions of these. Like I'm really schmackered today. Uh, I feel smacked around, but I also feel a little punch drunk from that. I like that feeling. So I'm going to call it, hey, I'm schmackered. <laughs> I just made that up. Um, and so I decided to try to run a couple of groups just short term to see if I liked it. Did it work? Am I a social therapeutic coach? I don't know. And I called these little experiments in social therapeutics, joyful sadness. What we did in those groups was uh, therapy, social, social therapy. People came in and they talked about their lives. It was a hard transition for people to make. They thought it was a class and a workshop and because they're used to me being a facilitator and an educator in this environment, I'm, I'm a coach, a life coach, therapeutic, a social therapeutic coach. And periodically, I brought in the kinds of things that I learned, mostly in the Global Play Brigade, the value of music and movement. So we created a playlist. We moved our emotions. There were moments where I felt we're getting heady, overly cognitive, overthinking. Let's have a dance break. Or we wrote a collective poem which is something I learned from a dear colleague, Jennifer Bullock, who's a social therapist and leader of the Global Play Brigade, who runs emotional support sessions on the Global Play Brigade platform. We improvised, uh, but it, it, I tried not to impose those moments of what I'm going to call pure play, but more to use them to walk around and about our emotionality. That's a sort of a Ludwig Wittgenstein approach. One of the foundational aspects to social therapy is philosophy and influence of Wittgenstein, because I think that's growthful. I think, you know, we all have our explanations. Hmm. Oh, I know why I'm feeling like this. Are you sure? How do you know? And why is knowing important or helpful to develop emotionally, to grow. So that's what joyful sadness is all about. And what I've decided to do is to keep that group going. I'm going to have two sessions a month that people can attend every time, twice a month, or you can come once a month, or you can try it and 
decide it's not for you, but I'm going to have an ongoing, that, that will become my practice. Um, so that's, that's joyful sadness. I want to just pipe in that, that I participated in your joyful sadness group and it was three weeks. And at the end of those three weeks, it was, it was joyfully sad <laughs> that it was over. <laughs> yeah. It was beautiful. So yeah, I'm really glad you're going to continue that. Thank you. Thank you. I am too. And then uh, in terms of normal, I hate that expression. Oh, I hope things go back to normal. When is it going to go back to normal? And I had uh, sort of been ranting to a couple of friends of mine about this. And they said, wow, I wish we had recorded that rant. That was amazing. Why I don't want to go back to normal. And I don't know, uh, I guess as creative people sometimes, and I think all people are creative, by the way. I'm not separating myself out because I'm a creative artist. I think human beings are creative, full stop. Uh, I decided to write a theater piece because I'm a theater person. And I wrote a little performance piece uh, called Nippy Bottoms Isn't Going Back to Normal. And Nippy Bottoms is a clown mm -hmm. character I created. And it's in three parts. And I don't want to really give it away, but... Um, a 17 minute video which I'm happy to share with people a very dear friend and colleague also a social therapeutic coach uh, and founder of the Global Play Brigade with, with Katie and myself and others Orly Harp is her name is a theater artist and a really talented filmmaker and she said I want to direct this and I want to create a video version and then I will edit it if you're open to that. And of course I jumped at the chance and we created uh, this piece, Nippy Bottoms, it's not going back to normal. And in showing it to people, somebody had said, actually Susan Parenti, who people don't, you know how there's like a brilliant woman behind a brilliant man, but you, you don't hear about the brilliance of the woman enough. You know, it's like Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR. It's all about FDR. And then it's like, whoa, Eleanor Roosevelt. Hmm. Well, Susan Parenti is a wonderful educator, clown, writer, accordion player, just an amazing woman. Her and Patch Adams came to one of these public shines because I know Patch from clowning and from our community. And Susan said, I think you should use this for a workshop and let other people talk about the ways they are not going back to normal. So that's what Orly and I are doing now. Uh, we're going to run a three-week workshop called, I think it's called, If We Don't Go Back to Normal, Where Do We Go? <laughs> because I think that that's a very, I think, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. did, did a talk in, I don't I couldn't remember the exact year, but I think it was like maybe 66 or 67, where he talks about being maladjusted. There's some very famous lines from it. You know, I'll never be adjusted to war. I'll never be adjusted to inequalities. And what does it mean for us to 
embrace ways that we are not normal or that we are maladjusted. That seems healthy right now. If you really think about some ways that normal gets framed, like mass shootings, normal. Domestic violence, yeah, it's normal. It's happening every minute of every day. Uh, violence against trans people, normal. War, normal. I mean, you could just name one thing after racism, it's normal. So let's start being abnormal. Let's let's be maladjusted. Let's not go back. You know, one of the lines in Nippy Bottom is, which is one of my favorite lines, we always say back to normal. We don't say, let's go forward to normal <laughs> because normal is backwards. Yep. Yep. And we are going back. And I want us, I want the world to move forward to peace, forward to a better world for every single human being and every other animal alive on this earth. So there's no more extinction. Can we do that? That sure People? would be amazing. Amazing. Thank you. I think we can do it, by the way. I am not cynical at all. That's amazing. Yeah. How about you guys? Are you, how do you feel about that? Do you get cynical? Wow. I think sometimes it's one can lose some hope. Yeah. But there's always someone around the corner that brings it all back. Oh. I really believe that. When you have a tough moment, reach out, you know? Yes. That's because... one of the tenets of social therapy. Mm -hmm. Reach out, get help, reach out, make a phone call. Don't be alone your pain that's what patch adams says that he yeah. thinks depression is caused by loneliness i think there's a lot to that I, there's I, i'm also wondering if our society have you ever read bowling alone i believe is the okay. no no but kind of a sociological study uh, informed. but i looked at uh you know, the decline in bowling leagues over time <laughs> i said used to be expected people would be out bowling every thursday night yeah the number of bowling alleys has decreased because people are now retreating to their dens or man caves, yeah. you know, and they're streaming and they're not having the interaction with people. Right. I grew up in public housing, you know, sheep said Nostrand housing in Brooklyn. And at the front of every building was a bench. Right. And that's where it is. And it's like the, it was almost like the tribal elders would get together and discuss <laughs> the issues of the day and try to come to consensus as to, you know, what should happen. And I thought that was very healthy type of there interaction is. and we don't have that yeah yeah we don't have uh you know you can't you know you need a car to go someplace yeah. to meet people and you're not yeah. just and you know they have to be there for a purpose and you stop at a certain time so uh i'm just wondering if we've just lost that and that's contributing to the explosion of it and i don't know how many people are living alone and dying alone right now yes this is uh a crisis you know yeah. we've got a mental health crisis in our yeah. country and that's you know it's funny it's funny about like these words you know, i have a calling mm -hmm. you know somebody said to me i don't know marion you said you you know you're 66 years old you want to slow down uh, i became a collage artist during the mm -hmm. pandemic you want a collage you want to do other things you and then you got busy again. Now you're going to start a social therapeutic practice. Whoa. 
that's a lot. Why are you doing that? And I said, I'm called to do it. Because yeah. people are in a huge amount of emotional pain. You see, you scratch a comedian and you know what's underneath. You scratch a clown. There's a pretty sad person. Okay, Jerry Seinfeld swears that that's not him. I don't even believe you, Jerry. But okay, you say that. But most other comics are pretty willing to say, yeah, back to humor, right? Let's just go back to humor for a moment because that's the box. We're in the laughter box. <laughs> what's, what's with all this laughter? Honey, I got a lot of pain. Emotional yeah. pain, physical pain. If I don't laugh, if I don't find some joy, irony, weirdness, something that I can play with about all of that, yeah. then I'm done for. And I, I am a very resilient person. Mm -hmm. And if I had to say, what's my secret power? You damn right, it's humor. Mm -hmm. You know, being funny, it saved my ass so many times. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my life. Uh, it's oh. it's uh, an incredible gift, humor. Yeah. And I always think, you know, why so many Jews, you know, are comics? Why are African Americans such brilliant com? You know, yeah. Richard Pryor, and on and on and on. You know, we we know women comics, gay comics. Why? Because we're all turning all this. Pain into laughter. We're alchemists. Mm. We're alchemists. We can transform our pain into joy. Not always. Mm. There are times when you just need to sit with the pain of it all. That's okay, too. Lois Holzman said this recently, and it really had a big impact on me. She said, you, you can't change the world if you have no hope. That's right. You're not going to become an activist and get out there and, and do things like you guys are doing, you know, on this podcast and, you know, the practices that people have. You're not going to do that if you're hopeless. You're going to be in your, in your room alone, you know, playing a video game or doing what you do because there's no hope. So we have to manufacture hope. That's that's part of how I see my calling. I want to manufacture hope and possibilities for people and do it joy joyfully, joyously. It doesn't have to be so painful because we already have the pain. I mean, I was in psychotherapy and I recently decided to end knowing I can always go back. And I said to my therapist, I can't keep going back to my child. It's too painful. Can't keep going there. I don't want to go there anymore. No. I want to, my parents are both dead and I love talking to them because I've created a really good relationship with them. Because yeah, I think you can keep developing relationships with people after they die. In fact, that's when they get really good. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. So speaking of calling. Yes. For those that are within the sound of my voice, and are interested in learning more about Marion Rich and some of the things you do, whom should they call? How should they reach you? <laughs> How was that you, for a segue? <laughs> uh, that was one of the best segues 
ever, Jim Bob. I'm so impressed. Um, I have a website that is easy, marionrich.com, but you have to spell my name, M-A-R-I-A-N-R-I-C-H, marionrich.com. That's my website. Uh, you can also look up eastsideinstitute.org. I am on the faculty. That's probably the best way to reach me. Do you have an email people, address? What's your email address? I was address? just about to ask, do people put their email? Right. So it's my first and last name at me.com. So again, M-A-R-I-A-N-R-I-C-H at M-E.com. I think it's very funny that I'm a person who has narcissistic tendencies thank you daddy um <laughs> and mommy uh, <laughs> uh, and i'm trying to get away from that and then i get an email called marion rich at me <laughs> <laughs> those are the best ways uh to reach me oh i'm also on eventbrite oh. find me on eventbrite where i will be posting the Joyful Sadness group. And I am doing a collage, a therapeutic collage workshop called Collage Play on November 12th. No experience necessary where I want to share the therapeutic power of making a collage. Collage your feelings. Yeah. I'm all about creativity. That's the way out of the, the fly bottle of overthinking and all of that. Be creative. Get out some paper, draw, paint, make up a song, drum on the table, dance, do a dance break. However creativity lands for you, don't forget we're creative. Marion, thank you so much for joining us today. As well, always, it's a big pleasure. Well, Katie and uh, Jim Bob, I feel, again, very honored to be with you. And I think what you're doing is fabulous. And I really want to go to the conference, the AATH conference in 2023. It's in Mesa, Arizona in April. Yeah. And uh, that information is on the website, the AATH.org website. I'll be there. Yeah. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. So I hope, I hope I'll get to meet some of our listeners and others there or or at, at any point you'd like to meet me listeners whoever's listening out there i want to meet you so thank you again <laughs> <laughs> thank and, you uh, both again thank you Mary. really so appreciate this fantastic work you're doing uh, thank you well you too it's going to take all of us right that's right it's a village it's a big village. It's got to be like a worldwide village. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out for episode 89 with Marion Rich, play revolutionary social therapeutic coach and performance activist with Jim Bob and Katie B. Thank you very much. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time.